Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Every once in a while, and maybe you've heard somebody say this, I, I don't want to go to heaven, man. I'd rather party in hell than go to heaven with white fluffy clouds and flying naked babies. I don't want to go to heaven. Well, it's a lot more than white fluffy clouds and flying naked babies, to be sure. And on top of that, you're wrong on the other part either. No one's going to be partying in hell. We know a few things about heaven, but our brains have no earthly idea what waits for those who abide in Jesus and wait expectantly for His return. Remember, Christian, every trial, every tear, every difficulty, and every challenge prepares us and gets us that much closer to heaven, where there will be no more tears, no more trials, and most importantly, where we will see and be with Jesus. With Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 28, here's Robert Furrow. The title of our message today is A Tale of Two Mountains, and it is obviously taken from the classic novel of Charles Dickens called A Tale of Two Cities. The, the book starts off with its setting in the pre-revolutionary area in France, right? And it goes into the revolution and then finally into the post-revolution, which is more of a nightmare than what they replaced. France was in trouble, but the revolution brought in the worst time that they had seen, probably even unto this day so far, the worst time that they had seen. And the book starts off and it says it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And it means in the same city, in the same country, that there were some aristocrats who were living in incredible wealth. And there were others that were in great poverty at the same exact time. I, I want to read to you the first paragraph of the book. You guys know this, I know. The majority of you have read it or at least heard it quoted. But I want to read it just to make a connection with our study. It says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was a time of belief and it was a time of incredulity. It was a season of light and it was a season of darkness. It was a spring of hope and it was the winter of despair. Now we come to our text and in our text, we find two different mountains spoken of. One of them is a fiery, trembling, scary mountain. And one of them, is a mountain of hope. One of them instilled great fear in those that came to that mountain. And one of them inspires boldness to rush up to that mountain and enter into eternity. One of the mountains is a mountain that you and I want to go to. The other mountain is a mountain we want to stay as far away from as we possibly can. The first mountain that is spoken of in our text is the mountain of darkness. It is Mount Sinai. It's where Moses saw the burning bush and went and took off his sandals on holy ground. And he asked God, whom shall I say sent me? And God said, I am that I am has sent you. That's Mount Sinai. The second mountain is Mount Zion. And when we talk about Mount Zion, we're not talking about the mountain that is in Jerusalem. There's a mountain in Jerusalem called Mount Zion, but we're talking about the new Jerusalem. We're talking about heaven. That is the mountain that we are climbing we are on our way there and life is short. James tells us it is like a vapor. And before you know it, folks, we will be there. Before you know it, we will be in eternity. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. 
But the first mountain that we come to is spoken of in verse 18. We've got this contrast between these two mountains. So the first mountain in verse 18, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and to the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. When God led the children of Israel out of Egypt by a strong and mighty hand and through the plagues, brought them through the Red Sea and destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, he brought them, led them by the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day to Mount Sinai. And they camped around the base of this mountain. And when they began to camp around the base of this mountain and Moses said, I'm going to go up on the mountain and meet with God, a storm started on the top of the mountain. And in that storm, there was lightning and there was thunder. Now imagine if you went up to Mount Lemon to camp and up on one of the peaks, a storm all of a sudden appeared with lightning and thunder. That might be a little scary, but this storm didn't stop there. There was lightning and thunder and a tempest. You know what a tempest is? If you look up the original word, it's like a tornado. It's a swirling wind that took place on top of this mountain. So not only was there clouds and lightning and thunder, but they saw the swirling of the clouds up on top of the mountain. But not only that, there was lightning, there was thunder, there was fire, and there was a tempest and the voice of God that spoke from the mountain and an earthquake and, okay, so you get the point, right? That last and was me running out of material, all right? But all of those other things happening on top of that mountain. Now imagine that you're with the children of Israel and you approach that mountain and you set up your camp and then and the earth is shaking. They were terrified and rightfully so. This is where God was going to give them the law. And the law was given under those circumstances because God wanted to show that this is nothing that you want to mess with. The law was to show you that you sinned and not to bring you salvation. So it was a frightening place. Look at what it goes on to say here in verse 18 again. For you have not come to a mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. From the top of Mount Sinai, from the middle of this storm with all of this stuff going on, came the voice of God giving the commands. Thou shalt have no other God before you. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Imagine them down on the ground, listening to the voice of God. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or his donkey. I always thought those two are an odd combination. <laughs> might be better thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife or Ferrari. Those might be better for us than wife and donkey. But nevertheless, God spoke from that mountain so that they were fearful and didn't want to hear it anymore. Look at what it says. And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words so that those who heard begged that they should not speak, be spoken to them anymore. They covered their ears. They ran in their tents. They put their heads in their pillows that they would not hear the voice of God giving those commands anymore. 
for they could not endure what was commanded. They listened to these commands and maybe they realized they weren't going to be able to keep it. We, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all have broken the commandments. It's not even that you get to start now that you've learned about them. It's that you've broken it. If you've ever stolen anything, then you're a thief. You say, well, I've never stolen anything. Really? Did you ever steal your sister's toys? Or, or how about when I was 12 years old, I stole a bag of Cheetos from a 7 to 11. They caught me and banned me from the store. <laughs> to this day, I'm still afraid to go to that store. <laughs> I'm afraid I walk in, the teller will go, hey, you're not supposed to be in here. You've been banned from this store. So we all break those commandments. And then it goes on to say in verse 20, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. When Moses had gone up that mountain, God had told him, go back down, make a barrier. Moses went back up the mountain. God said, go down. And if any cow or any animal strays past the barrier and touches the mountain, shoot them and kill them. So here are the people and they're down below. And there's this storm happening up there and the earth is quaking and there's fire and lightning and thunder and tempest and all that going on and they're covering their ears and they don't want to hear it anymore and they're terrified and this poor cow wanders up on the mountain and somebody shoots it. Animals are dying or wandering on the mountain. God is speaking. There's all of these terrifying things going on. So much so that verse 21, and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Even Moses. Moses, who stood before Pharaoh and said, God said, let my people go. Moses, who showed the boldness to stand before the most powerful king in his day and demand what God wanted, trembled. Do you remember the movie, The Ten Commandments? When Charlton Heston is standing, well, Moses is standing up on top of that mountain and there's the wind and the storm, and he has fear. When I was a kid, I gotta be honest with you, I didn't understand that scene. I didn't know what was going on. I just didn't have any context for it. I'd never read Exodus. I'd never read Hebrews 12. But now I understand what they were trying to show. And I think they did a decent job of showing it. Moses is up on that mountain. God is going to give the law. And you know that he's, uh, Exodus tells us that this storm went on for seven days. And then from the middle of the mountain, God said, Moses, come into the storm. <laughs> Moses was terrified. Moses might have said to God, you go in the storm. I don't want to go in the storm. <laughs> now that we get a picture of what was going on and how horrifying it must have been to receive the law and that the law, see, it was so horrifying, all of these storms, all of these things, because the law condemned mankind. That's what the law was about. The law showed man that he is under sin. That's why it was given with the penalty of death if you touch the mountain. That's why animals were killed who wandered upon it. That's why the storm and the thunder and all of those things had happened. That's why Moses himself stood in great terror and fear. We then come to the second mountain in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Now, Mount Zion is a literal mountain in Jerusalem. There's Mount Moriah, the highest peak in Jerusalem. And just next to it, just a little bit lower, is Mount Zion. Zion has also become synonymous with Jerusalem. I'm going to Zion, Jews will say from all around the world. And what they mean when they say, I'm going to Zion, I'm going to Jerusalem. That's what they mean. 
Not only has it become synonymous with the city of Jerusalem, it's become synonymous with Israel in general. God said that in the last days, he was going to reestablish Israel as a nation. And there was in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, something called the Zionist movement. So the whole nation of Israel has become part of what is called the, the new Zionist movement. There were only a few thousand Jews in Israel in the early 1900s. Today, there's six million. And they've been brought there from around the world. As the Bible says that God would call them from the north, the south, the east, and west, and they will come back in the land. And God says, I will rattle their bones and bring them back together and put weapons in their hands. And God prophesied that in the last days, the nation of Israel would not only exist, but they would be a strong military power and that all the nations of the world would surround them to battle against them. We see that Israel is exactly what the Bible said that Israel was going to be in the last days. It is that today. I talked with a guy a few months ago who said, well, that's all coincidence. That's quite a coincidence. How can you say it's a coincidence? God said it was going to happen and it happened. That's a coincidence to you? If God said it's going to happen and it happens, I got to think God's the one doing it. And besides that, it wasn't some general thing like, you know, psychics today. Well, I believe in 2014, there's going to be an earthquake somewhere. Ooh, really went out on a limb in that one, didn't you? Right? This is very specific. Well, the Zion that is mentioned here is not Jerusalem, but the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is heaven. The new Jerusalem is eternity. The new Jerusalem is where we see the throne of God and the emerald sea and surrounded by a great assembly of angels that can't even begin to be numbered. They're flying through heaven. When Isaiah saw his vision of heaven, he saw angels flying through heaven saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And the doorpost was shaken. That's how loud that angel was. Some of you guys come to church and the music's playing. You say, it's so loud. It's too loud. <laughs> well, move away from the speaker, first place. <laughs> but I tell you what, when you get in heaven, those angels are shouting so loud that their voices shake the doorposts. You're going to tell God, turn it down. It's too loud. Holy, holy, holy. See what I mean? Look at that angel screaming, holy, holy, holy. We are called to this mountain. Now, I want to say about heaven as we think about it. First of all, there is no way we can describe it. It is undescribable. But I can tell you that it is more than what most people think. Every once in a while, and maybe you've heard somebody say this, uh, I, I don't want to go to heaven, man. I'd rather party in hell than go to heaven with white fluffy clouds and flying naked babies. I don't want to go to heaven. Well, it's a lot more than white fluffy clouds and flying naked babies, to be sure. And on top of that, you're wrong on the other part either. No one's going to be partying in hell, all right? But heaven is beyond comprehension. The Bible tells us that it is a place where there are golden streets. Gold is valuable today. We see them on TV all the time. Buy gold, buy gold. You got to buy gold. If you don't buy gold, you got to buy gold. It's the asphalt of heaven. Transparent walls in heaven, the Bible says. Transparent wall. We don't need privacy anymore. Today, we're happy walls aren't transparent, right? Because we want privacy. In heaven, we won't need it. The Bible talks about pearly gates. Pearly gates, that's a pearl is created by agitation. A little piece of sand gets into the oyster. It coats it and coats it and coats it and coats it. Well, there's gates, pearls that are big enough to make gates out of in heaven. That's a lot of agitation. And we enter into heaven by agitation. 
It's unfortunate, but it's true. We go through a lot here as we live for God, as we're sold out to Him, as we stop living for the things of this world and begin to live for Him. We are agitated, but we enter into heaven through that. But heaven is spoken about about what's not there. It's described by what's not there. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain. All of that is describing heaven. But heaven is more about who's there than the place itself. As amazing as it is, as I said, the emerald sea and the throne of God and the glory of God and Jesus being there and in all of his glory, it's about who's there. Just like vacations. Vacations are not about where you go. You spend a lot of time worrying about where we're going to go. For Vacations are about who you're with. If I told you that I was going to give you a free vacation, I'm not. But if I told you I was going to and you could go to Hawaii, but there's one catch, you go to Maui. We'll send you to the, the Lahaina, the little town of Lahaina with, with the person in the world that bugs you the most. And you can't ditch them while you're there. You got to hang out with them. Or I'll send you to Bisbee, Arizona, and we'll even pay for a copper mine tour <laughs> with the person who is your favorite. The favorite person on the face of this earth. What are you going to choose? You're like copper mine. Here we go. Yeah. Because it's really about who we're with, that's heaven. And we're going to be up in front of the Lord, and it's about who is there. It's about Jesus. That's what heaven is all about. And we are called to the heavenly Jerusalem. We are called to heaven. And then it says in verse 23, to a general assembly and to the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Let's break that down. We're called, first of all, to a general assembly. What's a general assembly? It's everybody gathered together. There's a day coming when everybody that has been called will be taken up into heaven. And there will be a general assembly of every Christian from every generation, from every nation and tribe on the earth, from every denomination, anybody who knew Jesus and got into heaven by the blood of the lamb. And we will have this general assembly and we will all worship God in one accord. What a day that will be to a general assembly and church of the firstborn. See, we're going to have church in heaven, literally. Have you ever missed church and had somebody say to you later on, oh man, church was good this week. You should have been there. The worship was awesome and Robert was on. It was like a stand-up comedian act, right? <laughs> and you go, oh man, I should have been there. The last time I went, it was so dry, so boring. I could hardly stay awake the whole time he was talking. I wish I would have been there. Well, now we're having church. We're going to have church in heaven. For those of you that don't like church, I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. Sorry, man. We're going to have church in heaven. I don't know what to tell you. Might as well start liking it now because here we have it, right? Read it again. Verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Firstborn. We don't have firstborn today. Well, I mean, you do. You have a firstborn daughter or a firstborn son, right? You have a child of yours who was the firstborn. But the firstborn of their day in biblical times was different. First of all, your daughter couldn't be your firstborn. It was your firstborn male. Secondly, he was the one that received the inheritance. All your other kids got leftovers. Now, we don't do that anymore. We spend all our money and leave nothing to our kids. <laughs> and if by chance we do leave something, we divide it equally among our children, Right? but they were the firstborn. And if you were the firstborn son, then everything that your father had belonged to you without the whatever else the kids get. 
The majority goes to you as the firstborn and everybody else gets something, but not what you get. We are the church of the firstborn. We have an inheritance. That firstborn speaks of the inheritance that you and I have. We have been given heavenly riches. We have the inheritance. Folks, the inheritance that we have is greater than any parent has ever left you. Maybe you were left a great inheritance by your parents. It's nothing compared to what God's leaving you because we are the church of the firstborn. We have an inheritance from him. Now, not only are we the church of the firstborn, but the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. What does it mean to be registered in heaven? Well, registered, like you would register for a conference. We have a conference uh, here at the church every March, pastor's conference. And um, it used to be that we could leave the evenings open because there were so few people at the conference that we could open it up to the body and the body could come down and hear the evening sessions. But the conference has gotten really big now. We have 12, 1,500 people that come out for the three-day conference, which is awesome. But now we can't open it up to the body anymore because there's no room. So when we register people, we give them a little tag. And that tag allows them to come in the building. And we put somebody outside the building looking for tags. And when someone comes to hear the word of God and be blessed, we tell them, go away. <laughs> you can't come in here. You don't have, you're not registered. It's kind of funny that we do that, isn't it? <laughs> that we stand little police guys out there to look for people's registration. But that's what's going to happen in heaven. You are either registered or you ain't. Your name is either written in the Lamb's Book of Life or you're not. And you don't get that registration by climbing Mount Sinai. You don't get it through works because not even a cow could touch the mountain. How are you going to climb it? Mount Sinai speaks of separation. It speaks of devastation. It speaks of judgment, but not Mount Jerusalem. Mount Jerusalem has a whole uh, general assembly that climbs up that mountain and we all gather together up on top where there was hesitation with Mount Sinai. There is boldness with Jerusalem, with the new Jerusalem. And we climb up on top of that mountain because we are the ones who are registered. And let me say, if you're not registered, then get registered. You know how you register for heaven? By the blood of the lamb. It's written in his blood and your name is written in the lamb's book of life. The Bible says this, it's appointed once for man to die and then comes judgment. You have an appointment with God. You, you have an appointment with God. And you can't change that appointment. You can't go, call God up. God, God, I just can't make it. Just work it out for, I don't know, 20 years down the road. Jesus told the story of a man, farmer, had a bumper crop that year. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to put all my stuff in there and I'm going to say to myself, self, take it easy. In other words, it's time for me to retire. I'm kicking back. I have all this stuff. And Jesus said to that man, you fool, today your life is required of you. Everyone has a day in which their life is required of them. That is the appointment. And Jesus called him a fool because all he cared about was the things of this earth. He didn't care about the things of heaven. He didn't care about the things of eternity. He just took care of his insurance. Think about us. Are we so worried about our 401 or 503 or retirement or whatever else there is out there or 2162 or 4593 <laughs> that we aren't dealing with the things in heaven at all? Well, one day, everything on earth will be shaken. Not only will everything be shaken on earth, but in heaven as well. Heaven and earth that will be shaken and your, your mutual funds aren't gonna survive that shaking. They're going to shake away. And you will stand before God with only that that really matters. 
when you register in heaven, you gain that eternity. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.